1 through 6. I'm actually standing where I can begin. Please, please stand for 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Be there, please stand. And it reads, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for yours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3, hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected, Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith abide in himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Maybe see that. Amen. I like to use for a thought this morning. And as always, I encourage you to take notes on the back of the bulletin. I have three points this morning. The thought this morning is: do you know him? Do you know him? I want to use one verse in particular, verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Amen. We do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So, my question becomes, what do you know about Jesus? We know that he was born in a manger in Bethlehem and died on the cross on the hilltop overlooking Jerusalem. And you may know quite a bit about his biography in between. But I'm not asking you about the story of his earthly life. What I want to know is how much you know about who he actually is. And I submit many of you know about Michael Jordan. You know Michael Jordan. And I submit that many of you know about Jesus, but you really don't know Jesus. Even more importantly, what proof can you provide that you know Jesus Christ, not superficially, but intimately? According to the writer of the first epistle of John, it is the ultimate question every Christian or believer must answer. John wrote three, wrote three epistles or letters. The purpose of the apostles John's first letter was to combat false teachers in the early Christian church who he called Antichrists. These Antichrists may have been Gnostics who believed that Jesus never had a physical body or that may have been, there may have been Herod who believed that Jesus was just a man who became divine only after his baptism by John. What we are certain of is that John was dealing with many false teachers, and they had different views. The ancient Greco-Roman world was a battle of religious voices with many ideas, and all of them were attacking the anointed Christian leadership of the church or churches to whom John wrote. John had one up on these antichrists. His testimony of Christ was based upon historical reality. He had actually heard, seen, and touched Jesus. Doubters could deny the reality of the incarnate Christ all they wanted, but John was an eyewitness. And his eyewitness was not about to keep his testimony under a bushel. His intensely personal message of the word of life that was made flesh 
was his affirmation that God the Father appeared to us through Jesus Christ. Why did anyone question a first-hand account of the life of Christ? And yet, these Christians who got John's letter were doing just that. The negative input from outside interlopers was causing the question of facts about Christ. These Christians were saved, but they needed this letter if they were going to continue enjoying fellowship with the inner apostolic circle of truth about God, Christ, and eternal life. Doubters were everywhere, and they still are. We can certainly find millions of unbelievers outside of our own church fellowship. And I will not be surprised to find out that we might have a few right here within our own fellowship of believers, just like John did. Those who believe that Jesus lived and died, but doubt that he was really raised from the dead. Those who believe that Jesus was a good man, but doubt that he was and is the only begotten Son of God. Those who believe that good people, not saved people, go to heaven, and that all that stuff about confession and the need to be cleansed from unrighteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ is just for religious fanatics. You remember Thomas? They call him Doubting Thomas. I always say Thomas was a man who just wanted the fact. But in John chapter 25, in addressing Thomas, it just says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, talking to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And I think we have some Thomas here today. That unless you see Christ for yourself, see the wounds in his hands, see the piercing in his side, you will not believe what he says. John chapter 20, verse 27 says, Jesus says, Then said he to Thomas, This is Christ. Reach into thy finger and behold my hands, and reach into thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas in verse 28 says, and answering said unto him, My Lord and my God. But here in verse 29. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Understand this morning, when Christ comes back, Christ is not coming back to convince you that he's real. All the convincing, all the teaching, everything that we're doing right now is trying to get you to believe right now. When Christ comes back, Christ is coming back with judgment. Are you with me so far? All the preaching, all the teaching, all the convincing is being done right now. Christ is
And love is a subjective or a biased word, and highly personal. When somebody says, I love you, that's a personal exchange right there. It can be singular or broad in its focus, and in, and in the case of Jesus, it's both. Jesus loved mankind so much that he laid down his life for us. But Jesus also, loved, also loves each of us in a very distinctly and personal way. He pursues us by the aid of the Holy Spirit because it is his desire that all men should be saved. That's love in a personal sense. When I was a child, I used to sing, Jesus loves me. You probably know that song, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. At that point in my faith, I didn't really know about what I was really saying. I would just repeat what others were saying and doing. But there came a time in my life when I had to make a decision about the words to that song. Amen. Did I really believe that Jesus loved me? Thankfully, the church, my answer is yes. I know that Jesus loves me. My positive assertion was the result of a personal testimony from men like the Apostle John and Peter and James and the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who was I to question the first hand account of Christian apostles? There is certainly no proof that these men were real and that they lived at the time of Christ. But my decision to believe their report was also because I had reached a point in my life where I realized without Christ, I was nothing more than a sinner on the way to a desperate end. And somebody's there this morning. You realize where your life is out without Christ, and you're a sinner on your way to a desperate end. Mm. So, what did he do for me? I'm glad you asked me this morning. What did he do for me? Well, John said, if you look at John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. You're in 1 John already. Go over to chapter 3, verse 16, what it says. So what did he do for me? Well, John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, my God. In other words, Jesus died for me, so I accept that as proof that he loves me. John said also in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him shall not have but everlasting life. My God. So 1 John 3, 16 and John 3, 16 affirm the same truth that Christ laid down his life for me. And I was struck by Christ's selfless act, giving his life for mine, something I was, I was struggled with, with, the, with my closest family, and I was struggling with that with absolute strangers. And most of you would. If you were asked to lay down your life for another, you would struggle with that thought. But yet, Christ, so selfless, laid down his life for me. When I had no mind toward him, he was thinking about me. John 3 16 says, For God so loved what he created. That he gave his only begotten son, not just for me, but for all of us. That whosoever individual choice, believe him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. My God, even a soldier in battle is not completely selfishly fights alongside his fellow service member because he hopes to live through war's experience and get back home, doesn't he? 
Amen. I began to, I began to wonder what Jesus could have possibly seen in me that was worthy of his noble sacrifice. What did he see in me that would cause him to lay down his life? Have you ever asked yourself that? What did Jesus see in you that would cause him to want to lay out his life for you? Think about that question for a moment. And then it hit me in regards to myself. He did it because I was the object of his love and nothing more. Because he loved me. He loved me. He loved me and he still loves me, case closed. And there's nothing that I can do that will ever cause him to stop loving me. My God. If you're not certain that Jesus loves you, you might as well just sing that simple childhood song that I was singing earlier with the children because you're stuck in a juvenile faith. You're stuck in a juvenile faith. Like the Jews in John's gospel questions Christ's authenticity, you're stuck because you have not yet taken the leap of faith. You have taken the leap of faith. Amen. We like to talk about faith, but we have more faith in faith than we have faith in God. I help you. Faith in faith, as long as it makes sense, it adds up for you, you believe the evidence. But faith in God is, even when it doesn't make sense, even though I've never seen the nail prints in the hands of Christ, I've never seen the piercing in his side, yet I believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. In your mind, Christ's claim of divinity is too good to be true. Here's what Jesus said to them in John chapter 8, verse 42 and 43. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, listen to John 8, 42 and 43. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Verse 23, why do you not understand my speech and even because you cannot hear my word? You can't say you believe in God and not love Jesus. Hmm. And a lot of people say, well, I don't say, I, well, I believe in God, but you never accepted Christ for who Christ is. And Christ is God in the flesh. Amen. Putting it plainly, if you claim that God is your spiritual father, then you ought to believe Christ loves you because Christ is God's son whom he sent here. Amen. It's very plain and it's simple. Now, if you know, if you know that Jesus loves you, then you also know, point number two, that we serve a listening Jesus. So I ask you, what good is a savior without ears to hear and a heart to respond? For those who say they worship the elements, what good are the elements without an ear to hear or a heart to respond? Hmm. I submit you're better off serving a head of cabbage. At least he's alive for a long period of time. Come on now. Watch this thing. So, David knew that. He said in Psalm, Chapter 5, verse 3. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will address it. Your first thought in the morning should be, thank you, Lord, for a new day. Amen. Thank you, 
anymore for watching me as I slept last night. The first thought with some folks wake up in the morning is what's for breakfast? And why you eating breakfast, your mind's already on lunch. And before lunchtime has arrived, you got to make your plans for dinner. And at any point during the course of that day, God could cut you off.
the right hand of God, making intercession for us or intervening on our behalf. So every time we go to God and we say, Lord, forgive me, Christ goes, Father, I know he messed up, but he's covered by my blood. Mm. That's what Christ does. And if you're smart, you'll accept Christ on this side because either way, Christ is going to speak on your behalf on Judgment Day. When you face God as your judge, Christ will either be your defense attorney saying, yes, I know they messed up, but they were covered by my blood, or he'll be your prosecutor when he says, Father, I know they're not. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity.
nothing on my sleeve, nothing under my hat to have one on. It's just that you should be a direct reflection of Jesus Christ. Amen. There comes a time in every person's life when he has to trust Christ's promise. Ask Martha, the sister of Lazarus, when she confessed that she believed her brother would not have died if Jesus had come sooner. Jesus said unto her in John chapter 11, verse 25, 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then Jesus punctuated his statement with a probing question. He said, believest thou this? And I asked him the same question. And that's a million dollar question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you die today, that you will live eternally with Christ? And do you believe that if Christ returns right now, that you'll be a part of that great reunion in the sky? It's a million dollar question. You have to ask yourself. Because the Bible says we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who remain shall be gathered in the sky to meet him there. Do you believe that? Mm. If you say you believe that, then you also got to believe that you got to live right while you're here. Amen. I'm on track so far. You cannot be a part of that great reunion without Forgive my sins. No, which sin? You know when you sin. Which 
is that your desire as well. Paul says to Philippians, he questions his perfection. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I have apprehended of Christ Jesus. He said, man, what are you saying? Let me translate for you. I, I, let me translate. <laughs> Paul said, I do not mean that I am perfect. I haven't learned all that I should even know yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. Doesn't matter what you think of me. Doesn't matter what you want me to be. It's what has God saved me for and what has God called me to be. If I keep telling you, we got to be. No matter how 
So we serve a loving Jesus, a listening Jesus, a liberating Jesus. And my question, do you know him? Please do.